Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Cinescope. This is episode 96, still inching closer and closer to that episode 100 milestone, which is exciting. And this isn't to commemorate a milestone, but we do have a special episode today because, of course, I found another excuse to talk about Back to the Future. And I'm doing it with my good friend, James. Hi, James. How's it going? Pretty good. How are you? I'm doing well. And we're sitting in my living room. That's exciting. And it's a very familiar scenario because the very first time I watched this, it was here in your living room as well for podcasting purposes. Yes. So we're we're all about the content. (laughs) And we are planning today to watch all three movies, which you still haven't seen. You've seen the first one, which you watched right here. Mm -hmm. And you told me that you revisited it once. Since yes. then. So this was the third time total uh-huh. for me. And I've seen the first half of the second movie. Because the last time I watched the first one, it was on vacation. And we finished it because I had my, my younger sisters hadn't seen it. So I showed them. And then we were planning on doing the second one. And we got about halfway through. But it was also like 3 a.m. So yeah. <laughs> everybody was kind of falling asleep. So we decided to stop it. And we actually never were able to get back to it. So I'm, I'm excited to finally finish that and then get into the third one. So you got halfway through the future and then you didn't get back to it. So you didn't get back to the future, to the second one. Yeah, that's true. It's true. I think. <laughs> OK, well, we are planning on recording these short little snippets between each of our watches today just to sort of get James's sort of thoughts so far and thoughts on what's yet to come. And then at the end of it, we'll we'll have just like a sum up and what our thoughts are and all that kind of stuff. So I wanted to ask James first regarding the first movie. Has there been anything further that you've noticed or caught up on in your subsequent rewatches? A little bit. You know, it's it's weird just because I went so long as like a, a cinephile, I guess, while not watching it that I kind of accumulated all of the this happens and then this and you notice uh-huh. this. So, so many of the things like all of the things that people have spent years picking up on and stuff, I kind of knew going into it. So so all of these things as they're happening, I'm like, oh, yeah, I hear people talk about that. That's really cool. So I guess it, the one negative thing about coming to this so late is that there hasn't been a whole lot of stuff that I've been able to, like, on rewatch find for myself. Because mm-hmm. it's like everybody has kind of, you know, already got everything together, all the little Easter eggs. Right. So, like, the, the twin pine alone pine. Yeah, stuff like the, that. The broken ledge. Did you notice the broken ledge? I don't remember if we talked about that last time on the clock tower. I think I did, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because it's not broken, obviously, in the original 85, and then Doc is slipping on the yeah. ledge and it breaks. And that that's consistent. So anyways, I was just curious. So you said you've seen the first half of the second film. Do you remember up to what point in the movie that you stopped? We got back. The last thing I remember is just being in the dark timeline with, okay. with Biff kind of really in control of everything. But I don't remember this like that the actual plot point. Okay. Like I don't know what the mission was at that point. I just remember, really, it's the aesthetic, because this was a little over a year ago now. So I remember the aesthetic of everything and what things were looking like, but I don't remember where the plot was. 
so you made it to the dark timeline in 85. And so that means you've, you've still got some surprises left at the end of part two, which are going to be fun. And then I'm curious, just I, I think you probably know a little bit about part three as well. So what I'm really excited about is, I mean, because one kind of steals all the attention for the trilogy. So that's where all of my like pop culture knowledge comes from in regards to the trilogy. Mm-hmm. So you know, you're talking about surprises in the second half of the of the second one. I I really don't know what that is. So I'm I'm excited to get there. And then, as far as three, I know that it, at some point they're in the West. I don't know mm-hmm. the extent of that, but that that's that's literally my knowledge. Is it's it's called the Wild West one, and that's, right. that's kind of what okay. I, know. I I figured you at least knew that much about the third one. Yeah. So there, there's not going to be like that huge surprise going forward for you. Okay, well. I wanted to know, just to close up this segment, going into part two, you you know the first half, you're familiar, we got to the dark timeline, do you have any expectations for where it might go from there? Or do you just not remember enough of the, the basic plot to figure that out? I really don't know where, like, because there, there's obviously two, two more than three still has some bits of like, you know, hold on pop culture and everything like the obviously the hoverboards and the mm-hmm. 3D jaws and everything. What I was surprised about is so much of what I knew about two was very front loaded, mm-hmm. and so I'm like, okay, I know all this and this and this. And then whenever we go to the dark timeline, like that's that's where I was like, I I never knew that this was an element here. I didn't know. So I really that mixed with the fact that I I mean we we started it at like two. So even what I saw, I wasn't watching fully conscious which is why i was okay to turn it off because you know Mm -hmm. really ruining the experience so yeah i'm not i really don't remember where we were headed and i i don't know if i have any sort of expectations in terms of like what i'm expecting from the plot okay well that's good i think i'm glad i'm glad that you don't have like any major expectations or knowledge of where things are going so much of the hype for part two is that it is quote the future movie and you've already experienced the extent of the future that is in the movie. And so you're right. It's a very small part of the movie that is remembered so strongly. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to go ahead and sit down and watch part two. Um, and then we'll be back to talk about your thoughts there and then get ready to wrap up the trilogy. I'm excited. Okay, so we have just finished watching part two, James's first time all the way through. And how about some just like general thoughts on how you liked it versus the first one and just anything you want to say right now? So I actually liked it a lot. I can say I, I didn't like it as much as the first one, but that's kind of, ex- I mean, I don't know of anybody who prefers any of the sequels more than the first one. No. So that's not at all like a dismissive statement. I actually liked it more than I thought I would. I didn't talk about it a lot in our first recording because I I wanted to see if it held up. The first time I wa- I was watching this and I got halfway through, the one thing that kind of put me off on it was in the future all of the old age makeup and the old like the everybody kind of talking like that like mm-hmm. for some it 
I remembered it lasting quite a lot longer whenever I first watched it, and I remembered it getting grating, but this is like, it's just a scene. Mm-hmm. So, weirdly enough, my memory of Back to the Future Part Two, from what I had remembered, was enjoying it with just little things here and there that I was not super into. But all of that stuff actually wasn't nearly as bad as I remembered, and I ended up liking everything that I had already seen a lot more. And then I was genuine, like, I, I genuinely had no idea where the third act was going mm-hmm. and i definitely get now why Endgame was called like the back to the future 2 of the mcu and i actually like i really really liked the way they played with the events of the first one and like the the level of complexity of of everything going on of two different versions of time traveling marty in the same location mm-hmm. and then one doc brown with the older one there's just a lot of stuff going on that's really cool like and i I, i'm not always one who's super easily won over by fan service where it's like oh it's it's just like that moment there but it's i feel like it's integrated so well into two stories specifically and it's not just like oh we're here because it's kind of cool but it's like oh no like the two's plot needs him to be here at the same time that this event from the first one happened and so the way it all works together is is really really cool it's one that i actually want to rewatch, yeah. like already but i want to rewatch it with like a whiteboard so right. i could just <laughs> keep track of things yeah because the only thing that really has me confused with timelines is they made it feel like it felt like they were playing by the rules of both split timelines and single timelines all at once part of the issues in the first one are like the dilemma is erasing oneself but you wouldn't exactly be erasing yourself from that timeline, but rather creating a new split timeline. Right. right? I, I know what you mean. Like, theoretically, Marty and Doc should have just been wiped out from 2015 as soon as Biff made the change, right? Right. Because, I mean, I, I told you while we were watching, there's a deleted scene on the disc where when old Biff comes back to 2015, which he technically shouldn't have been able to do, he wipes away from existence. He fades away. Because something happened between 1955 and 2015 that led to him not existing in 2015 right. anymore. But it, in reality, it shouldn't even have just been him. It's like that entire reality, that version of 2015. Would right. Have. But and it, it feels weird like they explain that away by saying that's an alternate 2015 and we've mm-hmm. created a new split timeline. But the idea of split timelines wasn't ever really involved in the first one. It just felt like we're going to different points on a single line. I agree. It is kind of a little bit of a plot hole, but maybe a way to think about it is once they left the 2015 they were in, it deleted that from existence. They were like and the just, linchpin holding yeah, it. Yeah, they were just up. holding it there, and time had not yet quite caught up to them. Right. And so maybe if they had stuck around longer, then it would have caught up to them. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it is a valid criticism. <laughs> I guess it's criticism only in that, like, I feel like the first one works really well with it. Like, the only things that you have to really suspend your disbelief for with the way the timeline works is, like, the idea that everybody moves back. Like, everybody's at the same place at the same house and everything, and mm-hmm. everybody's dating the same people. The same people are born and all that. But, like, that's, I can buy that mm-hmm. because I think the time travel mechanic works really well. So the only the only real difference between the first and second here for me is that with regard to the time travel is that I can buy it and never feel like I'm having to think too hard about it in the first one. And it's, I think it's also just a necessity of, of what two is going for. Cause two feels 
more ambitious. You know, we're going to the future and then an alternate present and then back to the first, like back to an altered version of the first one. So it's doing a lot. And because of that, you're you're having to think about the time travel a lot more than you were in the first one. Right. I think it might be a little bit of a byproduct of the fact that they never intended to make sequels in the first place. Like mm-hmm. the, the first movie was a standalone movie. Yeah. And the to be continued wasn't added until the VHS release after they decided they were going to make another one. And so this was just them trying to come up with something that would work. Yeah. But it, it wasn't like what they intended from the get go. So they had to probably play with their own rules a little bit. Like they established rules for the first one, had to alter them just a little bit to make a, a story work for the second one. Right. And as much as I think this works really well with the first one, there are a couple plot elements where you can tell that a sequel wasn't originally intended. Like this idea, because I, I know we get the explanation, but, Doc feels very earnest when he's like, oh, she can come too, you know, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And then with the the answer being like, oh, I just had to tell her something so we can knock it. Like, it didn't feel like that was the I, intention there. I'm pretty sure that either Zemeckis or Gail or both have said at some point that the biggest mistake they made at the end of Back to the Future 1 was putting Jennifer in the car <laughs> because then they had to find a way to deal with it in the second one. Yeah. Yeah. So you had moments like that. And then the only other line that feels weird is, you know, when he asks, how are we in the future? And he's like, oh, y'all are fine. Everything's fine with y'all. It's your kids. But he's still a deadbeat. <laughs> like, he would have he still is, been like, you're <laughs> He is, but he's not in prison. And that was the whole thing he was preventing was his kids that's, from going to prison. That's true. It just, it felt like Marty was re- looking for like, a, oh, is everything good? And it, it felt like he was receiving a, oh, yeah, you're fine. Mm-hmm. You're totally fine. Your kids are the problem. But he's like... He's still definitely, like, you know, the hand in- injury that happened shortly mm-hmm. after and all of that. So that's just a moment that feels like this was an idea they had after the setup at the end of the first mm-hmm. one. So it's not complete. And like I said, other elements of it work so well with the first. And I do think they retcon things enough to where I can buy all of this. So it's not even a huge issue. It's just something, something that I was kind of conscious of for a little bit. I will say that part two and part three were originally conceived as one story. So the reason that they have the preview of part three tacked onto the end of two is because they filmed it basically at the same time. And so they already had that footage ready and it was just a a year between the two. And so some of the things that are story elements now that we don't have answers to or that were definitely set up in the sequel and weren't set up in the first film do have some resolution in the third film. So you can at least look forward to that. Speaking of that teaser, I think in the future, I'm going to cut it. Like, I'm going to pause it right before that tease because yeah. I feel like I've already I've seen more than I wanted to see. Right. Now. <laughs> it, it was really like a very small highlights reel. Okay. Yeah. It, it, it does, it's not like a movie trailer nowadays where it gives away everything. Right. Okay. It's just like, here's the taste. Gotcha. <laughs> I am excited that the part of part two that you hadn't seen before was the best part of part two. Like when we go back to 1955 and we're revisiting familiar locations and we get their version of the photograph from the first film that's keeping track of their progress on whether they've succeeded or not. That's really smart how they set that up in this one where they have the matchbook, they have the newspapers, they have all these things that they can help track their progress. Yeah. And that's what's surprising because, so I really enjoyed Endgame. But it's the time travel stuff of the, oh, we're back here, isn't this cool? We're seeing all of our favorite moments. That didn't work for me as well there because it did feel like this is kind of easy fist-pumping moment. Like every yeah. this crowd-pleasing kind of stuff, we all love these moments. But for some reason, it, it worked for me a lot more here. And I think it's because this didn't feel like 
a highlight reel of the first one. Like, let's visit our uh-huh. favorite moments. Like I said earlier, it felt like they integrated the the dilemmas and the, the, the just overall plot of two into that scene really well to mm-hmm. where, like, now I'm going to associate all of the, like, just the 1950s era almost as much with Back to the Future 2 as I will with the first one just because of, like, you know, we're trying to get that almanac for a while in mm-hmm. the 50s, and so it it becomes less of a, hey, isn't this neat, and more of a, no, we're here for the plot, and we're going to make these moments our own moments. Mm-hmm. And for me, going back to the 50s at the end makes the movie a lot better. Like, I like the future stuff. I think it's cool. I like the alternate 1985 stuff, too, but the problem is those parts of the movie are, like, very dark and heavy, mm-hmm. and they sit with you, especially when you see how some of it is reflective of our current times <laughs> and current government. That's we don't need to linger on that, but everybody has already made the joke. Everybody's seen the memes with Biff say. in yeah. 1985 alternate timeline, and so it's it's just a breath of fresh air to return to something familiar. That's the crazy thing. You know, like whenever you think of Back to the Future, especially, and I'd imagine maybe this is what it's like for me having not seen it and for it, it not having been a part of my childhood. But I'd imagine this is how it might be for people who watch it, but just go a long time between where you think of Back to the Future, like, that's just 1980s classic fun. It's like, Biff is an attempted rapist and, like, a a murderer. They do a lot to deepen Biff's level of villainy in this film. Yeah, like, he is a truly, like, just a scumbag, awful person. And, you know, like, I mean, the car scene alone in the first one is enough to where, like, you know, at the end of the first one, when they're having him polish the car, I'm like, man, you got it easy. Like, it's so much easier to stomach how bad they may treat him at the end because you're like mm, that car scene that's yeah. pretty rough and now and yeah like like you said they really they further that even more into where all all of the alt 1985 stuff you're like oh yeah he's not only brutal. A, a creep he's not only a bully a high school bully but he's like a guy who has killed people at this yeah. point in the story yeah and like just it's short-lived, but just all of the domestic stuff between he and his mom. I'm like, oh man, this is, <laughs> this is heavy. This yeah, is, this is heavy. Yeah, <laughs> I will say, watching it this time around, the ending hit me emotionally a little bit harder than it normally does because I think I made, I realized something that I hadn't really truly like thought about before, which is when the DeLorean at the very end is struck by lightning and Michael is, uh, when Marty <laughs> is left there on his own, he thinks Doc has died. Yeah. He doesn't say, I'm left behind. He says, Doc is gone. And then when the Western Union man shows up and he's reading the letter, he says, he's in the Old West, but he's alive. Yeah. Doc is alive. And so for me, I, I don't think I'd really realized that Marty thought that Doc was like gone, gone, like dead at yeah. that point in time. He had made that warning about not being struck by lightning, but then it happens like right away. Yeah. And, you know, like the little flag thing coming mm-hmm. down it definitely feels like you could have interpreted that as like a some sort of explosion or right exactly or something going wrong with a time machine in it yeah and so you get to witness marty who's had a friendship with doc for a long time we assume and then over the last movie and a half we have watched them go on these adventures together and spend a lot of time together and tackle problems together and all of a sudden he's gone and he thinks i'm never going to see him again he's dead and now he has a letter proof that he's alive and so it's just like a roller coaster there at the yeah. very end of the film and then that moment where he drops in on 1955 doc after the the uh, original so time travel back that's so much fun yeah 
so that's something that I really love in time travel moments. The idea that the time traveler experiences everything in like just a blink and everybody, everything else progresses normally. Like getting that letter, the idea that he just saw Doc like two seconds ago and now he's being given this letter from the 1800s. Like stuff like that is what makes time travel stories cool to me. Mm -hmm. Like it's really inventive ways of introducing like the next movement in the plot of like you know now we've time traveled and yet in the same instance here's here's the next problem we've got this letter from you know 70 years ago or mm-hmm. so it's i'm definitely looking forward to seeing the interaction with him and the doc from the first one and how they just lost the delorean and how they get to the old west from there because well is there a no because both deloreans have made their trip so yeah i i want to i wanted to ask you about that we saw in the preview at the end of the movie that marty makes it to the old west somehow do you have any theories uh i don't know (laughs) (laughs) it because i mean the first one did a great job of selling the sense of desperation you Uh know of plutonium is not really an option we only have one delorean like the tech to even just build the this vehicle that's going to go 88 miles an hour like it's they felt like they had exhausted every reserve to be able to make that last run in the first one uh-huh. and so now both available deloreans are gone along with knowledge of like the lightning strike so it feels like they've really got nothing uh-huh. so I'm, I'm definitely i don't know i don't even know what to pick at for like a, a theory but i'm looking forward to it okay and do you have any other like ideas of what might happen in the third one based on just like how you think a trilogy should end based on what you saw in the preview based on anything do you have any ideas uh it definitely looks and from what i've heard everybody just kind of refers to this one as the old west one so mm-hmm. i'm expecting it to be less time traveling and more grounded in a specific time mm-hmm. although people refer to back to the future too as the future one and right. that was kind of just act one so they may pull a fast one on me yeah uh <laughs> But it definitely feels, and especially based off of that teaser, it feels like we're going to be pretty anchored in the in the old west. But outside of that, I, I feel in the dark in a good way of like I really don't know what's what's going on. Good, good. I like that. <laughs> I'm really excited. We're going to go ahead and watch part three now, and we'll be back to sort of sum up the trilogy. So, stay tuned. <laughs> Okay, so we have now finished watching the entire trilogy. James, what are your first thoughts? I like it a lot. It's nice to know that after knowing about the trilogy for as long as I have, but only really hearing a lot about the first one and then bits and pieces of the second two, it's good to know that the trilogy as a whole is like just a really good time all the way through. Yeah, there's not like a a low point necessarily. Yeah. And like I said, after we finished, I just made the comment, like, it feels like there's been this hole, this cultural hole (laughs) that's now been filled. So I'm happy. And I'm 
probably going to be watching it all the way through again pretty soon, the trilogy. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a pretty quick watch as far as like trilogies go. They're each pretty much two hours on the dot. And so six hours for the entire trilogy is not bad at all. Yeah. And I, I've got to believe that somebody's done a super cut. Like oh, somebody's, I wouldn't be surprised. Somebody's, I, I wouldn't mind watching that, you know, cause the, the first scene and the sequel is kind of, they re go over where we last left. It'd be kind of cool if they just cut off the end of the previous movie and just use the beginning of the next one as as that end and cut out, you know, the to be continued and just watch it as like one movie with the, the end at the end. That'd be really interesting. The only challenge would be the fact that the ending of the first movie and the beginning of the second movie were only re they were refilmed. It wasn't just like reused because right. the actress changed. Yeah. So it'd be funny if like a super cut had them either interchanging <laughs> scenes, like <laughs> moments, or no, maybe was... the, just like halfway through, it's all of a sudden Elizabeth Shue as Jennifer. <laughs> That'd be good. <laughs> well, regarding part three itself, is there anything that surprised you or anything that you especially liked or anything like that? Um, I don't know if there's anything that surprised me. And I don't mean I don't mean that in a, a negative way. Mm -hmm. Well, you got your answer to how Marty went back to 1885 to begin with. Okay, yeah. So I, that's that's the thing because I remember whenever he leaves the note saying I've left it here, go here. Then it made me think of when you asked, you know, like how do you think they're gonna get there? I'm like, oh, why didn't I think of that? Yeah, of course, of course. he's got the the DeLorean <laughs> there. Yeah. So that's that was really cool. Although that that left me with one question. Uh huh. Do they not have two DeLoreans in the Old West now? Why would there be two? So he, Doc, entered there with one. I, okay. And then he came back with that same one, but by taking it from the future, so it shouldn't be gone from where Doc left it yet. Right, yes. So yes, the DeLorean that Marty in 1955 Doc fixed up so that Marty could then go back to 1885 mm -hmm was the same one that Doc sealed up. So that one, the one that Doc originally sealed up when he wrote the letter and that he tells Marty about, is still sealed up. Gotcha. So that it's that can be found in 55. So yes, for a brief moment, well, during the course of part three, they would have been also both there at the same time. Well, okay, so now, but thinking about that, because I was about to think that, oh, this is a plot hole. But it's actually, it wouldn't be, because at first I was thinking, well, they, I know that the one that Doc landed in is is messed up, but presumably it still has the like the fuel line and everything. They could go and get those parts. But if they do that, then they remove the possibility of future Marty from being able to to use that because mm -hmm. they took it. Although in theory, 1955 Doc could have fixed a broken oh, fuel line. But that's true. But but whatever. I'll stop thinking about <laughs> it. <laughs> it doesn't. It's it's okay. So there's that answer, and I wanted to know what you thought about this movie sort of being Doc's movie. That's something that I, I wasn't expecting was what I was thinking in the first act of this after 1955 Doc is helping him out again. I'm just thinking I, I want to see this. Like I want to see a movie that is just the 1955 Doc, like where the movie literally starts with him in 55 getting a knock on his door and he's like Marty coming in saying, hey, I'm from the future. And then we see the way that plays out. And then with no context of what happens in Back to the Future 2, just end the first one and then the other Marty comes back and we continue the beginning of Back to the Future. Just like grounding our perspective solely in 
the the point of view of 1955 doc and i'm like that guy just had a whirlwind of stuff happen yeah no kidding and, in just a week yeah of and, his life and it made me think like i love the character just from the first one but it makes you like him more and more just like that he's constantly being hit with new information of like i'm from the past i'm from the future this is going on this needs to be fixed and he's like constantly meeting it every single time and so for them to let three be kind of his story and be a send-off for him it didn't occur to me before that that could be something that they're doing but i appreciated that they were like let's have a more doc centric story since this whole thing is made possible by him and he's been kind of selfless throughout anyways right so I will say now that you've watched it, and you might have already known this, the third one is my favorite sequel. Mm-hmm. Like, my, my order of as far as favorites go, and I'm pretty sure Gabe, your podcast co-host on Franchise Fatigue, is in agreement with me. The first film is the best, followed closely by the third film, and then the second film. And I just I love having a Doc-centric storyline. I love getting to see him challenged in his feelings in the face of his role as a scientist and having to lean on Marty to finally be the logical or the scientific one in the scenario and him following more of his heart. In this movie, you have Christopher Lloyd having his very first on-screen kiss in mm. like his late 50, or late 40s. Mm. And nice. it, I just, you can tell how much fun Lloyd is having like at the, the dance scene when he gets to have a great time with Clara or when they're later that night over at Clara's place and they're just watching the stars and looking at the moon together and enjoying each other's company there. It, it's so different from the doc that we saw in the first two films because i mean it was even hinted at in part two where he said you know we'll destroy the time machine and i'll get a chance to explore the next great mystery (laughs) of the universe women yeah and so he's able in this movie to to follow through on two sort of dreams he had the first was to visit the old west he he was saying he regretted not being able to go to the old west since it's his favorite cultural time period and then he's able to do that and then he says i want to explore women and then he gets the chance to do that too yeah. And like I said, that was it's it's cool to be able to explore him as a character because he was he's always been a character, mm-hmm. but he's they haven't really done anything with him emotionally a lot. And so I, I did enjoy getting to see that aspect of him. Mm-hmm. Did you have anything else? Any other thoughts on the third movie? What did you think about Buford? Uh, Mad Dog. So I really I really <laughs> liked I mean, it. I, I would not describe it as toned down. But I do like that we we lose maybe some of the eccentricities of him from the first two and just give a mostly, like, just straight Western villain. I think that Thomas F. Wilson as Buford in this movie is fantastic. Like, really, really genuinely yeah. great. And that's... I was waiting for, like, his his old West thing, uh-huh. you know, like, Oh, this is the old West version of this, but they did play it mostly as straight Western villain. Uh, and I thought that was cool. I like that. Mm-hmm. Any other thoughts on part three specifically? You had mentioned before going into three that there were, because they filmed two and three back to back, there mm-hmm. are things that kind of get resolved and something that I didn't even think about until I started noticing like what they were doing with Marty and three was like, Back to the Future 1 is pretty much perfect. Mm-hmm. and But despite that, you don't really get too much of an arc from Marty in it. It's pretty much just adventure start to finish. And it's mostly know? an arc for, like, George. Yeah, exactly. Mostly. You know, he's he's helping his father arc while, while Marty's pretty static in terms of characterization. And mm-hmm. it's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. But then you get 
the the faults of the character in two and i like that that's resolved i liked you know whenever he he doesn't go out for the gunfight he's like he's an asshole i'm not gonna right. i'm not gonna do that and so i appreciated that you know they across if you look at the trilogy as a single story then marty does have an arc and i was worried that they were going to go back on it whenever he's like you know hold on at the end and he was going to race i'm like ah, don't do like let's commit to this and the fact that he just let him go and that him letting that opportunity go is what gets him out of that. I really like that mm -hmm. a lot. And, and then at this point, we now have no idea what is in store for Marty's future yeah. because everything that was, that we sort of saw in part two that uh, had been referenced back to this specific incident has been erased theoretically. And so now Marty's future is an open field of possibilities yeah. which is really really special for him as a character and for us as an audience to sort of imagine for him yeah one of the last things that i just want to say about the trilogy as a whole is the ongoing references and jokes are like phenomenal and it's <laughs> i'm not i don't want to say recycled because recycled obviously carries like a negative connotation right but going like the waking up with i thought i had a dream it's like oh well you know, you're, you're back in good old 1955 or on the 47th floor or yeah. back on McFly Ranch. It's like every we're, we keep going to the same well, but one like it's the repetition that makes it funny and it's the new spin that makes it funny. So it's not just, uh, oh, we got to do this joke. It's like it it's kind of part of the DNA. It, it reminds me of, although what it reminds me of is more of a kind of, well, we got to do this because we got to do this. But I really love the Rocky series and every single one of those movies ends with the fights over and the same music track starts and every like it's an overhead shot of the ring and everybody rushes the stage mm -hmm. and every time like because i watched all of those for the first time a few years ago and every time i got to the next one i would think in the back of my mind like i'm gonna be kind of disappointed if that doesn't happen this is like right. <laughs> kind of a comforting thing that this is what we look forward to and that's almost how some of these jokes felt across this trilogy of like, oh, we're doing that. Like we're we're keeping up with all of these references and they're really smartly done. So I don't have to feel like anything's lazy. I think one of the ones that stands out to me is the first one ends with Doc and the bulletproof vest. Mm -hmm. And then the second one, you have him watching Clint Eastwood. And he's like, bulletproof vest. That's incredible. <laughs> and then the third one takes it as far as it could go with him calling himself Clint Eastwood and recreate. Like, it's yeah. just these little moments, like these seeds of an idea in the first one being, like, carried throughout until it's, like, it's the full joke in the third one. It's, it's just really clever writing. Yeah. And speaking to the, the waking up scene, it's really fantastic in this third one as long as you don't think too hard about the fact that his paternal great-great-grandmother looks exactly like his mother <laughs> that's the thing you have to accept the fact in this that everybody like just gene there are some people there's some families that genes are just real strong yeah. um and speaking of that i i liked uh old irish marty mcfly you know, <laughs> It was obviously a wig, but it was there was just something about it that was like it was. Fun. I, I liked Michael J. Fox's performance, just that that quiet little Irishman. Yeah. By the end of this, I mean, I'm trying to think about it real quick. How many characters has Michael J. Fox played? Because he played obviously Marty, main Marty. Then there's old Marty. Mm -hmm. There's his son Marty Jr. There's his daughter Marlene McFly, <laughs> and then there's Seamus. Am I missing any? Uh, I think that those might are be the it. ones that I noticed. Unless he's just in some crazy cameos no, that I, I didn't I pick think, up on. I think that's it. 
and of course you have Leah Thompson and Thomas F. Wilson playing multiple yeah. characters as well. I believe Crispin Glover was originally intended to fill the role of Seamus. So his parents would be playing his great-great-grandparents. And I, I meant to ask you about this in one of the previous recordings, but I, I know, because we, we had talked about, not when recording, but just during the movie, we had talked about the fact that, um, oh, I'm going blank on her name, the original Jennifer actress. Claudia Wells. Claudia Wells. You, you said that she wasn't able to reprise the role because her mother was having health issues, but that I had always vaguely known that there's some sort of drama regarding Crispin Glover, but I'm not sure of the details on that. I'm not 100% on the details, but I, I know for one thing, Crispin Glover was just kind of a weird dude, and I don't think they like agreed on everything in the first film while, mm. while making that. And he'd make like weird character choices and stuff like that while, while preparing a scene, and they'd be like, okay, well, we wrote it this way, so at least do it that way one time, and then try your own thing, whatever. But I think the the main issue going into the sequels, he was already kind of iffy about it. And then they decided, okay, well, we'll offer you twice what we paid you for the first film. And then he, Crispin, then decided to fire his agents and then get new agents who could then help him demand more money. And Zemeckis and Gil were like, well, if you ask for more money, you're going to get less. And so that's what happened. And so they didn't hire him and... Then they used Jeffrey Weissman, I think his name. They put prosthetics on his face to sort of make him look like George, and then they hung him upside down to make it even harder to yeah. tell that it wasn't the original actor. <laughs> and then obviously in all the scenes in 1955, when George was sort of in the background, they would cut away right in the moment when he would speak. And even in part three, when he gets back at the end, his dad just hangs out in the doorway. But the issue was, I think there was actually lawsuits over that because they used Crispin Glover's likeness oh, yeah. without his permission. And so I think he actually won some money in that case. I was wondering how that would turn out because yeah. I don't know, and I guess now we know if, if he was able to win. I didn't know if, you know, because that footage is theirs, if they were, if, you know, we can do what we want with this particular footage. But I guess in the, since it is a new film yeah with, well i think new the, the archive footage is fine i think it was the fact that they made another actor oh, look like him okay yeah gotcha i think i think that's the biggest issue okay yeah wow that and that's what whenever uh we see him in the background i was just thinking like they they looked out of all of the people to leave they looked out with it being Crispin Glover because he has such prominent features that are easily produced with process like mm -hmm. you you can like his nose and chin are very distinct. It's like you, you can mold that, and it's recognizable. Yeah. Um, and because he is in the background, honestly, I bet you know if people didn't know about that, you could go through the whole trilogy without realizing that yeah, there was probably. ever anything up. You know. Yeah, I mean, they they had him in that one scene in the future in part two because he had to be there. But any other time that they could just sort of pass with not letting his father speak, it worked. So And the the guy doing the impression there was pretty spot on, I thought. Mm -hmm. and, and like you said, because it's upside down and process, and it's already old age makeup. So you could have right. just assumed like, well, if, of course it looks different. It's Crispin Glover super aged up. Mm -hmm. So it's, yeah, I, I bet without knowing all the behind the scenes, you'd never would have you know, even thought. Mm -hmm. You've just been like, oh, it's weird that they used her and not Crispin Glover as the as the father in the third one. But Well, did you have any other thoughts or questions about the trilogy or things that connect or don't connect or anything like that? 
I'm probably going to have to think about it way more before I could come up with any <laughs> any sort of question about like, wait a second, how did this, if that? Yeah. Like I said, that probably won't even come up until I get another rewatch in the hopefully near future. Mm-hmm. I guess Final Thoughts is just like, <laughs> I'm I'm really glad that I've got a new trilogy that I like a lot. <laughs> um, and one that doesn't just peter out in the third installment uh-huh. because that's just, you know, so frequently happens. I think I'm going to have to re reevaluate my my trilogy ranking now uh-huh i i was curious uh i have just a couple more quick questions first off we did talk about the train what did you think about the the time traveling train at the very end i like the effect of it a lot the only the only thing that i thought was was funny was uh jennifer really takes that in stride you know yeah. she's, she's just there like oh look at this this is neat and then like waves She's waving as the train comes off the tracks and flies away. And like, oh, goodbye. I mean, I'd assume that in between the avoiding the Rolls Royce and on the way to Clay- or Eastwood Ravine, <laughs> yeah. that they had the conversation, okay, yes, for real, this did happen. It wasn't a dream, yada, yada. Yeah. Ma- Marty sort of catches her up on it since she's basically been unconscious <laughs> since the end of part one. And that's, that's something that's <laughs> really fun. Like, you know, we she's been unconscious since halfway through the second one and she doesn't come back to until the end of the third yeah and really it's like 10 minutes into the second one (laughs) it's like as soon as they get to the future he knocks her out and that's what's so crazy is thinking about the way time flows in their 1985 Mm -hmm. you know like this trilogy despite the fact that they experience so many days in different time periods this trilogy really takes place over like just a like maybe a day yeah. For or not, not even really a, a full. I'm trying to think of how much time is spent in their 1985. I guess it is just about a day. They originally Marty originally leaves Hill Valley on October 21st, I believe. When they return from 2015, Doc brings him to the 27th, I think, because that's the date. That very last scene is October 27th. Mm-hmm. So I need to like double check on some of the dates as far as current 1985 goes just because that would mean that they were gone for like a week or missing for like a week I think or you know what I think I'm actually getting my dates wrong it would have been October 26th that's what it is October 26th is when he originally leaves it's October 21st that is 2015's date they're close and I, I, got, I mixed him up so oh, October okay. he leaves he time travels the first time on October 26th he comes back on the 27th gotcha and October 21st is the date that they traveled to in 2015. Had to okay. get that right straight in my <laughs> head. When I was in middle school, I had a binder you know, that I did all, had all my schoolwork in. And in the clear pocket on the front, I had a Back to the Future trilogy timeline. That oh, was just like, nice. they travel from here to here and then here to here. And That's cool. Yeah. I'll have to see if I can find it and show you. But uh, my other question is gut reaction. How would you rank the trilogy? Uh, so just immediate gut reaction, I think I do one, two, three, but I think it's because three treats the characters in more subtle ways. Mm-hmm. And I think that if I'm ever to join you and Gabe, it'll be probably after rewatches to where I'm able to like, cause two is so shiny, you know, shiny right. and new and yeah. like all of like it feels the most ambitious you know because we've got all of these different time periods and all of these wildly different aesthetics and stuff and it's constantly hitting you with something new and exciting and three does just like it parks itself in the west and that's just where we are and it's a lot more quiet as a film than the, not that it's like this low-key drama mm-hmm. but it's it's definitely less adventure you know 
less fast paced. And so if I am probably to come around to enjoying it more than two, it would be after rewatch because the initial impact of both of those sequels two just has so much new stuff. And that that's just, yeah, immediate gut reaction. Okay, I was just curious. For me, what stands out about three is that three has a lot of heart. Mm-hmm. Like it's all about character interrelationships and Doc's moment to find love and all that kind of stuff. And so because we're rooted in one place, it becomes more of a character. I wouldn't say character study. It's not that kind of film, but it's it's a moment for the characters to shine more because we're less focused on the shiny new things in 2015 or on the time travel itself. They're, they're in one period and we just get to spend time with them. So I like part two. In fact, today, I think I even liked it more than I usually do. It just hit really well for me today. But I still think three, just because of how much I like Doc, is, yeah. is my favorite sequel. Gotcha. Okay, well, I think that's it for now. I was really glad that we got to do this. We've been planning it or talking about it for a long time at this point. Yeah, people who listen to Franchise Fatigue would notice that we've been gone for like a couple months. I've had a whole series of things going on, moves and vacations and house-sitting, like mostly normal things, but because they they just all happen right in a row, and so we've kind of taken a short hiatus. Mm -hmm. And plus we have quarantine and coronavirus and all that interspersed in there too. Yeah, a lot of craziness going on. So it was nice to be able to take a break from a lot of that and have like a day of movies, which is just my my favorite thing. Yeah. So, okay, this has been fun. It has been fun. Thanks for joining me. Hopefully we'll have you over more often so we can record podcasts in person like this and watch a movie together, which is always great. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely down. I we need to do this more. We need to find. I don't know, maybe just a segment of James watches a movie he should have watched by now. (laughs) That sounds great. Uh, How about you tell people where they can find you online? Sure. Uh, You can find uh, me as well as my co-host over on the podcast, uh, Franchise Fatigue. We are now back into that. We just, it's weird, we haven't covered a new franchise in a year because we covered Star Wars and then by the time we were done with that, like if a new entry in a franchise comes out that we've already covered, then we'll go and we'll do that. Mm-hmm. And so there had just been a lot of things accumulating because Star Wars took so long. We had several different releases and like, okay, well now this is that. So we, it was like Toy Story, we just did Men in Black. I think there was one more that had a new release that we had to go back to. Mm-hmm. So we've, we're finally done with catching ourselves up with Men in Black International, which is one of our shortest episodes. There's not a lot to that movie, as it turns out. <laughs> so, but we're, we're about to start the Bourne series, the Jason Bourne Ooh, series. I love those movies. I've only ever seen the first one. I've seen all three. I haven't seen, oh, and I've seen Legacy, but I haven't seen the Jason Bourne titular one. Gotcha. The yeah. new one. I, I saw the very first one a long time, maybe like five, six years ago now at this point. And I saw Legacy in the theater. And I think that was actually before I even saw the first Born Identity. Mm-hmm. So that was just a, I don't understand any of this, but <laughs> people I know are going, so I'll tag along. Yeah, I was about to say that movie doesn't make much sense yeah. if you aren't familiar with the Born trilogy. Yeah, so it was very much a, I guess I'll roll with all of this. I really don't know what's going on. My, I have very, very little memory of that film, but I'm excited to go back. Especially that first trilogy. I'm really excited to get to the second. Well, excited to get to the first one again because I remember so little. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's that's your podcast. Where can people find you on Twitter? Um, your your handle has changed. 
since like the last time I checked it because I was like, okay, I'm going to tag <laughs> at James L. Hamry and that's not it anymore. Yeah. So uh, I'm back on. So this is embarrassing. I just now got back on various social media platforms. I've just I've been an old person and I've just been straight Facebook for the longest time. So I think I'm at James. Uh, I, let me pull up my Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I, I would grab it if I could. So uh, on Twitter, you can find me at James L. Hamrick. It's the uh, last name is H-A-M-R-I-C-K. And that's like I created an Instagram, but I have literally nothing there. So so Facebook and uh, well, I guess to plug a, a group on Facebook, me along with Gabe. And I don't know if you've had him on as a guest. We've had him a couple times. Josh Mesker. I know the name. Okay, we're all admins over at a Star Wars group on Facebook called uh, The Outer Rim, a Star Wars group. Regardless of what you thought about The Last Jedi, that, that, that did a lot of things to the Star Wars fandom, and there's a lot of angry people on every side and this and that, and so we, we decided to make a group that's not for people who l- only love The Last Jedi or really all of the, the new media, but it's just for a place where we try to facilitate positive Star Wars conversations surrounding the movies and the shows and the comics and things like that. So if you still love Star Wars and you're still happy to talk about that, feel free to join us over there. Okay. Well, you can find me on Twitter at Chadadada. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. You can find my other podcasts. There is An American Workplace, which is an Office Rewatch podcast. You can find on Twitter at WorkplacePod and on the website WorkplacePodcast.com. And remember that I just started a new show, which is really exciting. We are a few episodes into talking about Avatar The Last Airbender. The podcast is called Crossroads of Destiny. I'm doing it with two of my best friends, and we get to record it in person every week, which is really great. And that's one of my favorite TV shows, along with The Office. And so we would love if you went and checked it out. You can find it on Twitter, xroadspod. It's on all the usual podcast platforms. And our website is also xroadspod.com. And that's it. The show notes and contact information for this show can be found thecinescopepodcast.com. We're also Cinescope Pod on Twitter. You can find the Cinescope Podcast on Facebook. All those things. I, I'm winging this. I normally don't wing this because I usually have a show document in front of me, and we've just been talking. But hopefully I covered it all. In any case, everybody, thank you for listening to episode 96. And James, thank you for being here with me. Thank you for having me on. And thank you for saving your Back to the Future rewatch for this, <laughs> or like watch through for this. Yeah, I'm ready to go back again now. <laughs> well, thank you, everybody. Have fun and celebrate movies. Oh my goodness. Come here. If I bring you up here, will you stop meowing? He needs attention. Okay. I'm just going to hold you for a minute, okay? He <laughs> just wants to be reminded that he's loved. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it. Oh my goodness, Tucker. That was a lot of fun. It was fun.